Good morning, church. It's good to see you this morning. Just let that sit there for a minute. <laughs> Glad to have you here this morning. Uh, today we're actually going to jump into a new series, um, <clears throat> one that I'm really excited uh, to jump into. We're going to study through uh, the book of Philippians. Um, and if you've been coming here a while, meaning more than maybe six to six months to a year, you you know that our typical pattern is that we go through books of the Bible. We systematically go through books of the Bible, starting in verse 1, going all the way through the end. Uh, it's it's just, it's my personal pattern. I think there's value to it, and I'm not going to get into the reasons why, but it's been five months since we've gone systematically through a book of the Bible, which is the longest we've ever been, not, we've ever not done a book of the Bible, which I'm, I'm, so I'm excited to jump back into Philippians. I feel more feel more at home systematically studying through a book of the Bible. So hopefully you're all as excited as I am. So my encouragement, as as I as I typically do when we go through a book of the Bible, is is uh, I encourage you to read the whole the whole letter, the whole book, uh, from start to finish. It's only four chapters. It's it's easy enough. Uh, it's not it's not Romans or, or Acts, you know, that are 20 plus chapters, 28 chapters long, the book of Acts. And you can sit down and read Philippians from start to finish, maybe even every week, you know, once a week, read through the book of Philippians, which would be a good practice. Get to know the book a little bit. Before we jump into it, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the Apostle Paul and his desire to teach and to lead the, the, the people at Philippi. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be uh, humbled as we come to your word, joyful that you have so set aside these, these pages, these words to teach and, and, to, and to grow and to transform us so many years after they've been written. Again, Lord, we ask that your spirit would be would be known this morning here in this place, speaking loudly and clearly into our hearts. We thank you for Jesus, for his shed blood, his, his body that was given for us so that we can be reconciled into your, your fatherly arms. We pray this in his precious and holy name. <clears throat> Turn to Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. <clears throat> Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always 
in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all. Because I have, I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Again, Father, we we seek to know you transformed by you through the work of your spirit through the pages of of scripture the word of God we long to know your son Jesus more and more we pray this in his precious name so since it's been a little while since we've had an introduction I'll I'll warn you ahead of time that we're going to be a little bit uh, context heavy today Uh, mostly because Paul is setting the stage for the book of Philippians. He sets the stage for the book of Philippians as he does in almost every single one of his letters with the very typical, uh, typical letter format. He starts by introducing himself and the other writer, in this case, Timothy. He's writing uh, to the people at Philippi, the Christians at Philippi, grace and peace. And then he gives this Thanksgiving, this little flourish of thanks to God for the people he is writing to. Like I said, this is very common practice in the ancient world. It's it's common practice for Paul, but Paul has not invented this new thing. He's doing something that's very normal. Uh, We can recognize this whenever we write letters, business letters. You start with your your name and address and who you're writing to and their address, and then you say, dear so-and-so. It's exactly the same thing. There's a a typical pattern that is used in the ancient world. So much so that <clears throat> there was a letter found by uh, by scholars or whatever, excavators, and they found this letter from a wife to her husband. And her husband had done something not so nice, and he, he was away from home, and so she writes in this letter, uh, I, wife, am writing to you, husband. I don't know their names. Uh, and then she says, I thank my gods, for you, dear husband, and then proceeds in the body of the letter to say how she's upset and she really would like him to come home. This is a normal practice. It's extremely normal practice in the ancient world. So Paul, he follows this same pattern, but we learn a number of things just simply by the context of the introduction. We know that this is Paul who is writing. Paul is who we call the Apostle Paul or the the great missionary. Paul was given a mission by Christ himself in a vision as he's traveling from Jerusalem to 
to uh, Damascus to persecute Christians, and, and, and Christ himself in, interferes with the story, right? He steps in, he blinds Paul, and he says, you are going to be, you're going to be my witness to the Gentiles. And Gentiles are anybody who's not Jewish, religiously or ethnically Jewish people. These, these Greeks, Romans in different situations, the Philippians are Romans. But this is Paul's mission to go to the non-Jewish people and to proclaim the message that Jesus has suffered and died for the sins of men. This is Paul. We'll talk more about Paul as we get through this letter. We'll talk about his situation. Paul is in prison at this point. Uh, we'll talk about his upbringing in chapter four when he gives kind of, or chapter three, excuse me, when he gives kind of a uh, an autobiography, a really short autobiography about himself. When that matters a little bit more, we'll talk a little bit more about it. But Paul is a massive character. He's a massively important character of the New Testament. Thirteen letters. He writes thirteen letters. He's uh, half of the book of Acts is dedicated to his to, to his travelings around. We'll talk a little bit about that in a second. And then Timothy. And Timothy is, uh, he's maybe a little less known than Paul is, but Timothy is Paul's kind of apprentice. He follows Paul around. He, he travels with Paul in his second missionary, missionary journey, which is where the Philippian church is planted. Timothy is with them, and so this is why Paul mentions Timothy. And then Paul says something unique or different maybe than his normal pattern. He says, servants of Christ Jesus. Now, the servants of Christ Jesus is not what's unusual. It's the fact that he leaves out kind of his business title. Paul says, I'm a, a servant of Christ Jesus. Maybe a, a, a good translation of that might be uh, slaves in Christ Jesus, meaning they're, they're willing uh, servants of uh, the Lord Jesus. But he doesn't call himself an apostle. Now, like I said, there's typical patterns that happen in, in letters, especially for Paul. And if we turn back to the book of Galatians, we'll get a counter, uh, a, a, an opposite picture. You could turn back there if you want, or you can just listen to what I'm going to say here. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul introduces himself, and he says, the same, he says something very similar. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from man nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God's Father. It's a very different introduction. And then in Galatians, Galatians is one of the 13 letters that Paul writes. It's the only letter that Paul writes where he does not give a Thanksgiving uh, introduction. And it, you can tell by the rest of the tone of the book of Galatians that Paul, he's mad. That maybe is an understatement. He's, he's furious. This is one of Paul's earliest letters. He's very upset about what is called the circumcision group. And so he introduces himself in a very different tone. He starts off by saying, look, I have the authority to speak this way to you. And then he omits something that even, even a scorned wife doesn't omit in the ancient world. But here in Philippians, we have a very different start. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, there's no... There's no assertion of Paul's status or Paul's position. And this is because Paul has an extremely different relationship with the church at Philippi. He has a strong, positive, and good relationship with the Philippians. 
And this will mark the way Paul talks through the letter to the Philippians. Now, Paul is going to give some correction. He is going to guide the, 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 the people at Philippi. But by and large, Paul is very positive. He's very happy. He's excited. And this shows through very, very much in this letter. And it says, to all the saints who are in Philippi, who are at Philippi, the overseers and the deacons, the leaders in that second half. Philippi, if you study the, the church in Philippi from the book of Acts, from the letter to the Philippians and other little mentions here and there through Scripture, you will find one thing that continuously crops up. And this, that is that God is at work even when man is not at work or is failing at that work. God is at work even when man is not or is failing at them. And this happens, we can see it as, as the, the church is started. If you want, you can turn to Acts 15. We're not going to read anything, but you can turn there and you can, you can glimpse it as, we, as, I, as I rush over it here just to give us the context. Acts chapter 15, there's something interesting that happens. Paul has now become the, the great missionary. He's gone on one missionary journey. This happens between Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 15, where he travels from Jerusalem and Antioch uh, around the Roman Empire, and he plants churches. And Paul's pattern as he plants these churches is he goes to these cities, and they're predominantly you know, more important cities or larger cities. They're not just small, tiny rural communities. They're typically cities in this, in this time period. And he goes into the, to these cities, and he finds the synagogue. And when he finds the synagogue, he goes and he has a starting point. At this point, uh, the Christian faith is just a section of the Jewish faith. It's just a subsection of Judaism. It would be exactly like we would talk about Baptists are just a, a denomination of Christians. Right? It's the same kind of concept. And so Paul, he's, he's traveling around. He goes to these, these synagogues. He's got a starting point. They kind of know the Old Testament prophecies about this Messiah to come, and then he makes these connections, and, these, and then the Christian faith uh, kind of grows in these areas. This is his pattern. But the problem with this pattern, and I'm going to say problem with this pattern, is that when you, when you start with Judaism, you start with, with kind of a, a wrong starting point. We need to start with Christ, and, and if you know anything about Judaism, or if you if you honestly look at Judaism as a Christian, I think we can safely say that Christ is, is there. But when you start with Christ, something is inherently different than when you start with the Jewish law. The people in this time, they're, they're concerned about these non-Jewish people coming to know Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. And so what they start to think about is if if Christianity is just simply a section of Judaism. And we have all these non-Jewish people wanting to be Christians. Shouldn't they go through the process of becoming Jews before they become Christians? Because naturally the bigger group should join the bigger group before you join the smaller group. That's how it should work. This is the logic that should happen. But in order to be a Jew as a man, you have to be circumcised. Now, circumcision is a much more common practice in our our time, even outside of Christian circles, outside of Jewish circles. But in the ancient world, it wasn't necessarily practiced by all. 
And the problem with this is not that the, the process went, uh, you want, you've, you've heard about Jesus and you want to follow him. Now, in order to follow him, you need to be circumcised. But, but rather, it was, in order to hear about this Jesus guy, these people need to be first Jews. So before you know anything about Jesus, before you know anything about the work that he has done on the cross, you need to have a very painful surgery performed. You can see how this becomes a barrier, right? We, we all recognize that this is a barrier. Evangelism sometimes is extremely practical. And Paul, he, he does not like this because he sees firsthand the effects of this being a requirement before you can even really hear about Jesus. And so he fights it. And that's what Galatians is all about. He's fighting this circumcision group. He's saying, no, you're, you're adding to the work of Christ Jesus. You're saying you first have to be a Jew before you can follow Jesus. But Jesus didn't come for just the Jews. And maybe he came for the Jews first, but he came for everybody. So he fights it tooth and nail, and he, he has very difficult time. And it, to the point where he starts to go, you know what, I need to get some support. We need to get some answers. And so he goes back home. He goes back to Jerusalem, and this is where we pick up in Acts chapter 15. Paul goes back, and is, after his first missionary journey, he concludes his first missionary journey, goes back to Jerusalem. He gets all the bigwigs together, and he says, we need to figure this out. So they have this council. The Jerusalem council happens in Acts chapter 15, and they decide that you don't have to first be Jewish. You don't have to first be circumcised in order to be a Christian. And everybody's cheering and happy, and that's great. Paul's happy, and he's excited. And then he goes, and he has, uh, I think, Timothy uh, circumcised, which is its own story. So he's excited. All right, I'm going to go. I'm going to go and I'm going to share this news with all the churches that I've planted and they're established and they're curious and they're wondering what, what is the answer to this question. We don't, they don't really know. So I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back the same path that I went. And when I go back, I'm going to give them the, the, the news. I'm going to share this letter that the Jerusalem Council writes up. And, and that sounds, it sounds like a good plan. God says, I didn't send you. To do this, I sent you to preach the gospel to people who have never heard it. And so in Acts chapter 15, Paul, he teams up with, or chapter 16, excuse me, he teams up with Timothy and Silas and eventually Luke, the author of the book of Acts and the author of uh, the gospel of Luke. And they're traveling, and as they're traveling, they're, they're wanting to go to certain places. They want to go uh, past Galatia into, I believe, Ephesus. They're in Derby, Lystra, and then Galatia and, and, uh, and Galatia, and they're, they're wanting to go further into Ephesus, and they're wanting to continue to, to share the good news that you don't have to be Jewish first. And we read this in, in Acts 16, chapter verse 6. It says, from the region of Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak a word in Asia. And it goes on in verse 7. And when they had come up to, to uh, Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithan Bithana, Bithan anyway. Uh, but the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus, did not allow them. So the Holy Spirit said, you're not allowed to speak. And the Spirit of Jesus, which is the Holy Spirit, said, you're not allowed to go. So we have these two hindrances, very strange language. These two hindrances, basically what we're saying is, is that somehow uh, God told them, don't go on the same path that you went. And so from there, 
outside of their plan, their plan was to travel the same path, but outside of their plan, they travel to a new place, the first city they go into, which is a Roman city, which is Philippi. They go into Philippi. Paul's typical pattern is he goes into the, goes into the city, he finds the synagogue, he preaches the gospel from the Old Testament. Well, in Philippi, there's no synagogue because there's not enough men to form a synagogue. And so he goes, and eventually he hears that there's some, some God worshipers, some Yahweh worshipers, and he goes and he, he finds them, and they're praying. He preaches the gospel, and a woman, Lydia, is converted. Which in this time, that doesn't really shock us, but in the ancient world, for Luke to tell us that Lydia was the first convert in Philippi, that's shocking. So he was going to go somewhere else. God said, no, go somewhere, go over here. He was going to go to the synagogue. Well, there's no synagogue, so... He was going to convert men, but he converted Lydia. And then he sees this little girl who's, who's demon-possessed, and he casts out the demon because she's being annoying, and he's thrown into prison because that was somebody's money. While he's in prison, he's singing, he's happy, he's joyful. And then there's this earthquake, and, and the Roman centurion, he's like, well, clearly the door's all busted open. Clearly they're all gone, so I just, I'll just kill myself instead of being killed by everybody else for losing all my prisoners. If Paul's in the background, he's like, no, 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 hey, wait. We didn't leave. We're not really that upset that we're in prison, right? This is God's plan. This is good. And he's like, you got to tell me about this. And there's the next convert. Lydia, a woman, and then a pagan, right? Not the first convert. This is unusual situation. This is this is unusual for Paul. Paul, the, 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 the minister to the Gentiles is, is having a difficult time with the process that he has kind of established for himself. When God, when God says, this is my plan, God's plan seems to work out, really irregardless of our foolish efforts. And this is the foundation point for the church in Philippi. This is the foundation point of this place, this place that was not on the radar for Paul. This place that was almost completely void of any of the normal first converts, Jews. We all have bias, right? We all have this starting point that we come from. This, this gets placed upon us by our, our childhood upbringing, by the, the places that we go to school, the friends that we have. As we grow up in our in our young in, in in the most influential times of our lives, this kind of forms the way we will think and reason through life. I've often said that we as Christians would not have such division amongst ourselves if we would first learn to listen, because most of the time the only thing that's actually happening in church conflicts is that we're just using different words because we start from a different place. If we learn to listen, we would do better. If we learn to recognize that when somebody says something to me, I should think about the way what they're actually trying to say to me as opposed to what I'm hearing. Let me give you an example. This is when I do pre-marriage counseling. I talk about this a lot. Communication is very, very important in marriage, important in every relationship. But I use this example that, that in my family, when I grew up in the 90s and early 2000s, we used the word nerd a lot. Right? Back whenever there was no Big Bang Theory and nerd was not a positive thing. 
back whenever nerd was a, was, was a not nice thing to say. I still call my father a nerd. My dad is not geeky at all. He's not, it's not who he is, but it was just our terminology. But if, if somebody from the outside got dropped into our family dynamic and started hearing this, they would go, what in the world are you saying to each other? It's kind of, you know, it's obnoxious. Don't call your dad weird. But it was a term of endearment in our home. Right? There's a, a foundation point. If we think about this as we go through life, we learn to listen well. We can change the way we're doing things. And this is, this is largely what's happening in Philippi. And we'll see this colors the way Paul interacts with the Philippians. Paul cannot come to Philippi and claim any level of his own, of his own work. Because it wasn't Paul's plan. It wasn't Paul's pattern. It was entirely the Lord Jesus. It's a good place to start, I think. He goes on, verse 2, in his typical pattern. He says, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We kind of think of those two terms, grace and peace, as kind of New Testament term and Old Testament term. Grace being being the free gift of Christ Jesus for the remission of our sins in the New Testament, and peace being the whole purpose of the law. The law is not there to make us live better lives. The law was there to, to, to guide and direct us so that the community at large would live at peace with each other. Right? Grace and peace. But these are typical introductions. And then Paul gets into the Thanksgiving section. And this is where we'll spend a little time here, but we won't go... It won't take us nearly as long to get through these verses as it does to get through verse 1. It says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. When I think about you, Philippians, I'm thankful. I'm thankful. Always, in every prayer of mine, for you all, making, all for you all, excuse me, making my prayer with joy. So when I think about you, I'm, I'm thankful. Thankful to God for the work he has done in your lives. And I'm joyful when I pray for you. Now why? Why is Paul thankful and joyful? He tells us in verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now that word partnership comes from the business world in Greek. So it's not just that the Philippians are praying for Paul, which is good. And it's also not just that the Philippians are proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to those people who are in Philippi, which is something that they're also doing, which is also good. But there's, there's this practical level to this. Paul is in prison. And in the ancient world, in, in the Roman Empire, if you were in prison and you didn't have people from the outside bringing you stuff, bringing you food, bringing you finance, to, to buy your food or to buy some comfort, you were probably going to die. If you were in prison for any length of time, you perhaps got some bread on occasion, maybe once a week. Maybe you got some water here and there. But if you're going to be in prison for a year, for two years, for five years, and you don't have outside support, you're going to die. So Paul, he's in prison, and the Philippians are providing for Paul financially. And for Paul, this means that they are providing for the gospel. Not just for Paul in prison, but for Paul to proclaim the gospel, which we'll get into as we get into the body of this letter. Paul's going to talk about how 
my, his situation in prison is not a hindrance. In fact, because he's in prison, he can proclaim to the jailers, to the, to the guards. Very interesting. It's a very different way to think. I think. Most of us think about our situation. We look in and we examine our situation. And we, we get really caught up in, in our own logic and reason. How is it that I'm going to succeed at this? And I make out a plan. I'm going to succeed at this. If, 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 we can, if I can go and I can talk to 20 people in this situation or in that situation. And all the while God's going, you know what? No. All I need from you is your, your, your willing participation in my plan and in my work. Paul, Paul could, could easily think to himself that the, the gospel presentation is hindered by him being in prison. Because logically, that's exactly what happens. Paul's preaching the gospel, which is what gets him arrested in the first place. He's preaching the gospel. He's arrested, and that hinders him from preaching the gospel. But he says, instead of stopping preaching the gospel, these guards that are quite literally, at, at the early points, are quite literally chained to him. They have to stand there. I'm just going to preach to them. They can't go anywhere. I'm going to tell them about Jesus. So he says, you can't stop the gospel from being presented. And so he says, I'm thankful that you, from the very beginning, have partnered with me in the proclamation of the gospel. It goes on a little bit, though. He, he expounds this just a little bit in verse 6. Says, I, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. One of the things that we're going to notice about Philippians is that many of us know a number of verses from the book of Philippians, but we don't really know the book of Philippians. Philippians 4.13, I do all things through him who strengthens me. So often we take that out of context. I think we do the same thing here in this verse. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So often we say that to people who are currently struggling. But Paul is talking to the Philippians who, who at least at this point, we see are getting it. Isn't it unusual that he would say this to them? It, it would be different if this is a, a verse that he says, to, to the Galatians, who he's like, you guys are, you started out good, and now you're, you're messing everything up, but I know that Jesus is going to continue to work in your life. He's like, no, Jesus did a great thing to start at the beginning. He's continuing to do a great thing, and I know with confidence that he's going to continue to do a great thing until you have been completed. Isn't that great? What Paul is essentially saying, I think what he's essentially saying at this point, he's like, look, the reason why I'm so happy, I'm so thankful for you guys, is that you're not looking at yourselves going, we've made it. But you're looking at yourselves in, in the reality of life as a Christian, as it's a continuous, constant journey until the day that we get to meet Jesus face to face. Yeah, I might be at a good place. We might be in a good place, but that's not the place that I'm supposed to be. I'm not going to a place while I'm still on this earth. I'm going to this place when I finally meet Jesus. And he says, I'm confident that this will happen. Verse 7, he confirms this. He says, it is right for me to feel this way about you. This is good because, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. I see the continued work and the continued growth in your life as you support me in my ministry and the gospel presentation while I'm in prison.
Then there's this subtle shift. And many people think that this is a prayer Paul prays here. For God is my witness how I yearn for all of you with affection of Christ Jesus, with the affection of Christ Jesus. It is my it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may, may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. This is, this is I think, something that we... we almost accidentally do. So we look at ourselves and we think to ourselves, we've made it. Or if I could only just get into the habit of reading my Bible every day, then I would be there. Right? If, I, if I only just get into the habit of, of, you know, once a month serving at a soup kitchen, I, I, I will have made it. And I struggle and I can't quite get it. I can't quite get those patterns, those habits. What Paul, I think, is going to show us through the, the course of this letter is that it's not about getting to that point. It's about, it's about what, what Christ continues to do to bring you to conclusion. Now, I say that, and I don't want to discount. I don't want to discount the Philippians. They are doing some good things. They will continue to do good things. And perhaps they would have continued to do good things without Paul writing this letter. To encourage them and to, to kind of continue to push them forward in their walk. But what's vitally important for us as Christians to recognize is that at all times and in every situation, God is at work. That it then in all times and in every situation, God is at work. Even when it doesn't seem like he's at work. Even when it seems like, in fact, everything in the world is telling me the opposite is true. And why this is encouraging to us, why, why with Paul we can say, I thank my God always. When I remember you, is because we see this play out again and again and again in our lives. So that in the times when we don't see it played out, we can hold to it. Paul's going to talk about himself kind of a lot in this letter. And he does so to, to emphasize this idea that God is at work. And so let's let's bring it to us. I can say with, with some confidence that I, that I am thankful for this church. We do a lot of things good here at Christ Church. We, we have a lot of positive traits. We also have a lot of negative traits. We're people. I'm a person. You're people. We're, I'm a sinner. You're sinners. We've we got, we got our flaws. But I think the reason why Paul is... Thankful, and the reason why I can be thankful to be part of this church is that, is that I, as I look around, I don't see a sense of contentment. That there is this this longing, this yearning for God to continue to work in our lives. That we would 
we wouldn't be content with just having a good service on Sunday morning. Now, what happens if we don't act upon those desires is that they'll eventually die. But I think I see it in us. And so we can say, as Paul says, I'm sure of this. You began a good work, we'll continue to, make, to, to do good work until he brings it to completion. Because we can say with confidence that it's not us who's at work, it's him who is at work. Even when my plan is to, instead of going to Philippians, to Philippi, I go to Ephesus. Even when my plan is to go to a synagogue and there's no synagogue. Even when my, my plan is to not be in prison. And all these things that I planned are falling away. God is still at work. And his plans do not fail. To his glory and to his praise. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you 